Hi, Alex. Hey there, Steve. Well, we haven't done a podcast in quite a while. No, what's yeah. what's the reason? Well, it, <laughs> I wouldn't say that it necessarily is because I was away for four weeks, but that might have, <laughs> might something, have something to do with it. Something yeah. to do with it. Yeah, I was in uh, Rarotonga, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't know where that is. I don't know either. <laughs> but Rarotonga, I didn't. But that's uh, one of the islands in the Cook Island group. Oh, and the okay. Cook Islands, it, it's all in that area with Tonga, Samoa, which is actually apparently pronounced Samoa. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, French Polynesia and so forth. And it's, uh, you know, a four-hour flight north of Auckland. So we were there, rented a scooter, took it easy. It's just so laid back. It's just unbelievable. It's, <laughs> I mean, the whole island has 10,000 people on it. Oh, really? Wow. And uh, sort of the interior of the island is all kind of mountain and and jungle, if you want. And so everybody lives on the periphery, mm-hmm. which is about 32 kilometers in length. Mm-hmm. And there are two buses. <laughs> and they're called clockwise and counterclockwise. <laughs> That's the bus service. Oh, wow. And you rent your scooter and you are told that uh, the speed limit, if you don't have a helmet, is 40 kilometers. Mm-hmm. If you get a helmet, it's 50 kilometers. <laughs> And nobody's in a hurry. Nobody honks their horn at you. People mm-hmm. are just friendly. Uh, we took part in a sort of a Polynesian culture show. And oh, wow. the whole thing was just was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I very much recommend it. And then we were in Auckland, met up with Chris, who's one of our members at Link, mm-hmm. and who is a computer programmer who has learned a number of languages I don't remember all of them, but dabbled in more. Mm-hmm. Very in- nice guy. We had a nice dinner. Auckland is a spectacular city. Oh, is it? And New Zealand is a lovely country. Green, and uh, people are very friendly. And then we were in Australia, and again in Melbourne. We met with four uh, polyglots, call them, linguists, mm-hmm. people, speakers of multiple languages. Uh, another, uh, sorry, that was in Sydney, was four. In Melbourne, we were eight. Oh, wow. And in Brisbane, there was only one. Uh, but I was impressed because there's the, of many different backgrounds. Like some people are from a multilingual background, but some of them are from a very much a monolingual background. Quite a few IT people, actually, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Like computer programming. Pro- computer programmers, yeah. But the overwhelming impression was that, that they all have a passion. Like it all boils down to a passion for learning languages mm-hmm. so did you notice any differences between say the guys who came from a multilingual home versus a monolingual home not really not really and uh, uh, although I mean I would say you know maybe out of the total of say 12 people there are probably three or four who did come from a multilingual background but I mean I met for example uh, Cooper I think was his name in Brisbane he speaks excellent Mandarin, mm-hmm. speaks French, totally monolingual background. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go through them all individually, but it seemed that a good example to talk about is Luca, mm-hmm. who is, for those of you who follow polyglots on the internet, he's very well known mm-hmm. because he is extremely good. He speaks French, he's an Italian, grew up in a monolingual environment. He speaks excellent Spanish and you say okay no big deal he spent a semester there it's very similar to Italian Mm -hmm. and he speaks excellent French and you can say okay no big deal he lives in France you know I'm saying excellent like very close to native right Mm -hmm. no big deal but German 
His German is phenomenal. <laughs> Sounds so German mm-hmm. uh, to me. Yeah. And yet he's never lived in Germany. And uh, we had our chat on uh, Skype or for my uh, YouTube video. And his Russian is very good. His mm-hmm. Swedish is very good. Even his Chinese is good. Mm-hmm. He, from a monolingual background. Mm-hmm. Um it's very interesting. This there there is a, a thing called the Polyglot Project, which was something that a fellow called Claude Cartagenez mm-hmm. from New York and David Manseret from London they got together on this in some way, or maybe Claude was the one this, who yeah. So Claude was the guy who started the the, the project itself, right, but right. it was he and David who started the podcast. Okay, that's what it, yeah. Claude put together the book, which is which is very interesting mm-hmm. to read about people's stories. And now they've started these podcasts, and I listened to a few of them. It's very interesting, and all of them have slightly different approaches to learning languages. Mm-hmm. But the one common thread is their passion for the language. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes people think, "Oh, like, oh, that reminds me." There was an article in the newspaper today saying that pe- bilingual people stave off Alzheimer's. By an average of four and a half years. Oh, really? And the article said it has to do with the fact that if you're managing two languages, then there's actually space in your brain for dealing with two languages. So you have to go back and forth. So that helps you in multitasking. So if you speak more than two languages, presumably that's even more. <laughs> I find I'm forgetting more and more things, but that's another, that's another story. You so, need more languages. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, to beat back Alzheimer's. Yeah. But, but the whole point, the reason I think it's worthwhile talking about this is like, okay, let's take your case, for example. Mm-hmm. You, I've heard you. You speak very good Korean mm-hmm. with very good pronunciation. Uh, you don't look the part. <laughs> Not so much, no. no. <laughs> and there's no particular reason from your background that you should do that, except that you had a very strong interest in it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the point I want to talk about is how many people could be good speakers of more than one language if they really felt they could do it. I think a lot of people don't believe they can do it. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think uh, in, in my case, now I'm nearing on 23. Uh, my first exposure to Korean was... When I say exposure, I mean the first, I guess, Korean friend that I had was in grade nine. How old were you then? Uh, so I was, I guess, 15. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really learn any. Like, I, I wasn't pursuing the language at all. I learned maybe like two words or three words and that's it. It wasn't, I would would even say, real exposure to the language. It wasn't until I was, uh, I guess, when I was 17 that a friend of mine... Well, who became a friend of mine was an international student from Korea who mm-hmm. came to my high school and lived with one of my Korean-American friends. So through that, I became friends with him, and that was when I started to get exposed to the language, to the culture, mm-hmm. more so with that. So it was about a year after that that I actually started really learning the language, mm-hmm. going from you know learning a few words and phrases from your friends, which doesn't really get you that far, to actually buckling down and grabbing a textbook and you know starting to learn the language in a right. more dedicated manner. But what that friend or those friends gave you oh, was absolutely. the desire, yeah, the and passion, the determination, the interest, mm-hmm. which is the key. And that's the thing. And, and when I compare that to, I, I actually have had a lot more exposure to French 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I went to elementary school here in Canada and middle school and high school in the States. And so for four years in high school, I took French. And in those four years, I mean, obviously I learned something, but I had very little desire to continue on. Right. The, the only thing that motivated me to keep going was, well, I need to take some classes and French is okay. So you I know, took French. Yeah. You know, I really, sometimes I get quite keen on this idea that we should be doing something to promote Bilingualism, multilingualism. Mm-hmm. Uh, incidentally, I'm May the fifth. I'm on television along oh, with really? three or four other Canadian so-called hyperglots. Because there's a fellow called Michael Elard or Ellard who wrote this book about people who speak many languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't in the book, but then this Canadian television network is doing a story on this subject. So they're looking for Canadians who spoke a number of languages, and they managed to find me and a group of others. And you know, but that's why getting back to his book um, I don't think that people who speak many languages are necessarily people who are born with some kind of a mutant gene or something you know mm-hmm. they're just people who like doing that that's the big thing and and the key to getting more people to learn languages is not to force them the way we do in Canada with French and the school system And you should you know it's your patriotic duty to mm-hmm. learn French that doesn't go very far somehow you gotta motivate people and and once that happens, and another interesting thing that Luca said is, the more you learn, obviously, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. You notice more things. You hear more things. You know, you've got two or three or four different language centers in your brain, so you're just better at it. And so the, 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 the biggest and most difficult step is to get from one language, where you are monolingual, mm-hmm. to the second language. Yeah. Thereafter, it becomes easier mm-hmm. with every language. 